Today's episode of Little Bit Leave It is sponsored by the Office of the First Chairperson of the Lunch Council. Let's do lunch. Previously on Little Bit Leave It. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Little Bit Leave It, the podcast where we talk Love Island, UK, in the USA. My name is Ben, and with me, as always, my podcasting partner and partner in life, Becca. Hey, hey, party people. We have an excellent episode of both Love Island and this show, not to be tooting my own horn. Horns can be tooted. I do think we have a good episode of Little Bit Leave It to pair with our episode of Love Island UK. And that episode of Love Island UK we will be discussing today is season six, episode 25. We are going back to Bristol in honor of Shawnee's. We have an amazing interview with Jacob Waller from Big Yellow Praxis, who lives there. So that's pretty cool. We found a Bristolian to talk to. To tell us everything we got wrong about Bristol. And if there's anything we like more than being right, it's being wrong. It's being told that we're wrong. Correct me harder, Daddy. And on top of that, we are going to talk fashion. We've got two nights of outfits in this episode, so a lot of fashion to discuss And we are, of course, going to finish up by ranking those couples. We have a pretty cool start to this episode. So what'd you think of it, Beck? This episode has everything. A mature audience warning. Sean Paul, the Portishead makeout song from high school. I already knew from those three things it was going to be lit. Well, I will say this. I like Sean Paul, but he's no Craig David. Nobody cried over Sean Paul. This episode picks up right where our last one left off with Molly and Shauna going on a friend date. What is this, Friend Island? Well, I wouldn't call it friends, but I am surprised by the tone most of it took. Shauna was not nearly as combative as I expected. I like the first sentences out of their mouth. Shauna asks Molly how she's doing. Molly's not doing too bad. And then she asks Shauna the same. And Shauna says, I'm not doing too good. One interesting question. How much is Molly a younger version of Shauna, at least physically? Did they dress alike on purpose? Was that instructed? I don't know if the producers are doing this because I first noticed it during Casa. There were a couple of outfits, I think, during one of the games. They were basically wearing identical outfits, except one of them was wearing pants and the other one was wearing shorts. And the patterns on their shirts were slightly different. But those shirts were nothing alike, but it's okay. To my eyes, they were similar enough. Right. Okay. So regardless, though, the girls are together in white sundresses and denim jackets. Now, to be fair, that is a pretty common summer outfit when you're in your 20s and look hot. So it could be chance and it could be not. I mean, even in the faces and the way they make themselves up is pretty similar. So at least Callum has a type if the producers are not engineering some of this behind the scenes. Right. So let's talk about the drums, though. Yes. Because, like I said, Shauna was not as combative as I expected. And it starts off well. Shauna is just telling Molly her point of view. She's not blaming Molly at all. And then she goes past that to completely trash-talking Callum in a way that has some plausible deniability that, no, of course she wasn't. Yeah, I think Shauna is a genius. She is manipulating Molly throughout this scene. Again, given what we now know about Shauna, and we're not giving spoilers for what happens in the season, but we do give spoilers for what happens outside the show on this podcast. Shauna's faking all this stuff. She admitted it on social media. Shauna accuses Callum of selling her a dream and intentionally deceiving her, which I think is only done because Shauna is trying to seed doubts in Molly's mind. Oh, 100%. Molly is not stupid. Molly does not get enough credit, I think, from Shauna for having half a brain because Molly just sits there and listens. She doesn't give Shauna anything. And she does react a little. She says, oh, well, I hope that's not the case for me. I'll have to be on the lookout. But she doesn't lose her cool. She doesn't get mad. She doesn't get upset. And she is a little upset after the conversation in the beach hut, but she doesn't give Shauna anything. I agree with you. Molly is at least smarter than Shauna thinks she is but ultimately Shauna does succeed 
As we learn later in the episode, Molly does confide in a couple of the other girls that she is starting to just look out for any red flags that Callum may be deceiving her. So mission accomplished for Shauna, in my opinion. To be fair, though, Molly wasn't there before. She hasn't seen Callum and Shauna together. If another girl warned me that my current dude did some shady things, I wouldn't dump him, but I would be on the lookout. I'm sure you did some shady things before we met. I know I did some shady things before we met, but we didn't do them to each other. I'm not debating any of that. I agree with you 100% about all of that. I think that just shows how smart Shauna is in understanding how to manipulate this situation to her advantage. Love that Shauna, not gonna lie. Love to hate her, hate to love her. So meanwhile, while the girls are on their date, the boys are having a chat and Callum says that his ideal situation is that the girls come back smiling and happy and friends. What Callum doesn't know is that that would actually be the worst scenario for him because that means they're teamed up against him. So no, Callum, you do not want that. I think though the second half was, oh, I want them to be smiling in friends and for Shauna not to be upset with me and we can be friends, which just shows that Callum is still living a little bit in fantasy land. And Mike does try to warn Callum that, hey, it might not be good if those two come back as friends. And this whole thing is pretty dangerous for you. I'm kind of enjoying Mike's redemption arc. Yeah, me too. I told you he wasn't a sociopath. Yeah, you were right. That he was just hopeless and awkward and desperate for love. You were right. Mike, if you're still listening, we're very sorry. Or I'm very sorry. I guess Beck had nothing to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I'll call him out when his behavior deserves it. But overall, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just blinded. He is so good looking. It hurts. So quit with the anti-vax shit, Mike. And get on the vaccine train. Choo-choo. Do you think that Shauna really wishes Callum and Molly well? Because those are the words that were coming out of her mouth, but... I don't know. I think the ideal situation for Shauna at this point, if I were her, I would do exactly what she did with that conversation and then continue to try to sow doubts in Molly's head by not being upset with Callum anymore and try to become friends with him and try to make Molly freak out over it and have Callum dump her and get back with me. That would be my game plan, but that's not what Shauna tries to do. No, take them down with her. I love it. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to work out well for Shauna, but she's clearly taken the route of, okay, I am going to just make this as messy as possible, at least between her and Callum. It does get a little messier because then Callum and Molly have a little chit chat when the girls get back and Molly tells Callum, hey, Shauna feels really let on. She and I are okay, but you're still on the hot seat. So she's got Callum shitting himself again. And if that's not part of Shauna's master plan, I don't know what is. Do you think we would have had a more sympathetic view again this time around if we didn't know what we knew? I don't think we would be as sympathetic, but I do think we would still be fairly sympathetic. Yes. Shauna then goes to find her pagey baby, my third favorite romance of the show. And Shauna nominates Callum for a BAFTA because of his fantastic acting. She said that not only would she nominate him, she would vote for him. This is where I start to get confused also about whether Shauna is intentionally manipulating everybody or whether she has convinced herself that Callum was the deceitful one in their relationship, even though we know that she's just projecting in a really big way. It's probably a little bit of both. Yeah, probably. And then Paige. Paige is such a great friend. She gives Shauna a really nice pep talk. She reminds her that all of this struggle and all of the drama are helping her grow into the person that she needs to be. And while I usually roll my eyes at that kind of stuff, it is true. Like each failure, if you want to put it like that, which I just did, I guess, each failure you have teaches you something. Shauna's already learned she has to stop going for boys. She said that in an earlier episode. And yes, okay, she already had a boyfriend, but maybe she learned from this that that dude is a keeper. Maybe he was running her social media accounts while she was in the villa, I guess. So So let's talk about another couple. Yeah, break up to break up. Yes, the Ice Princess and the Beebs. In this conversation between Luke M and Natalia, I would say that Natalia looks like she is in pain and Luke M looks like he is very pained to be even in this situation. 
He keeps making excuses for her being cold. He talks to Luke T. He talks to Shawnee. He says it's going well and she's just overwhelmed. But there's a cut shot to a group of the other Islanders playing some like, you know, chanting camp game almost. And Chad's there and he's having fun. I didn't see if Jordan was there, but there were other Casa people. I think all the other Casa people have really integrated themselves. Yeah. So we've got a conference of Luke's where Luke M finally confesses to Luke T that all is not well with Natalia. He's jazzed that she gave him a pity hug. I mean, that is the saddest part. Luke M says someone that will appreciate us somewhere. He has tears in his eyes. He's just gotten mugged off by Jess. He's just gotten mugged off by Natalia. Maybe he smells bad. Maybe he's a bad kisser. I don't know. Well, he actually has not been formally pied at this point. He feels like a mug, certainly. It's not really until the evening. Natalia, she's telling the Casa girls that she doesn't like Luke M. And she's afraid that he's going to think that she let him on. She's got the ick. She starts crying and boo-hoo, boo-hoo. It's because she did lead him on. She lied to him over and over because she's so fame hungry that she'll do anything to get famous and be on TV. So, yeah, Natalia, I have zero sympathy for you. I mean, so the fact that she acknowledges that he's a human being with feelings is more humanity than I expected from her. And that just shows you how low I have set the bar for these people because so many of them are so completely self-unaware that they have no concept of empathy. I agree. It is insane to me how the other Casa girls do not give it to her at all. They just take her side 100%. They have all the sympathy and empathy in the world for her, probably because they're a lot more like her than they might want to admit. They have a much easier time identifying with what she did than being the victim or the manipulated. I 100% disagree with you. They have no loyalty to Luke M. They have loyalty to her. They came in together. If you can get a good girl bond, that's worth gold. Yeah, I get that. But in my view, these people have known each other for what? At most a couple weeks. Really? Five days. Not even. Yeah. Not even a, a week. And look, if somebody was acting like Natalia, even if they were my friend, maybe it's just me, but I'd be honest with them about their behavior. That was not the time. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. So let's stick with Luke M and Natalia for a moment. Because this is really kind of the culmination of their little dance that they've been doing since we've been at Casa. Finally, they get on the daybeds. She admits that she does not like him. And Luke asks why she didn't tell him at Casa. And she immediately starts crying. Yeah, she's crying crocodile tears. She admits that she already didn't like him when they left Casa. And you can see the knife go into Luke's heart. I feel so bad for him. Yeah, she basically admits that she was lying to him and only wanted to get on the show. So good for him for ending it right there. She's a bitch. Yeah, she sucks. Shanice and Luke T then comfort Luke M a bit. And Shanice also basically accuses Natalia of taking advantage of Luke just to get on TV. Shanice, man. Shanice comes through as Luke M's other ride or die. She gives him another great heartbreak speech, points to Paige, points to Shanice. They pump him back up. She puts tears in his eyes again with her love and comfort. I think you were saying they are really the emotional heart of the show now. Yeah. Because Paige and Finn are cute and boring. So yeah, the Lukes and Shawnice at this point, I would say that they have become the heart of the show. Paige and Finn do seem to be off on their own, not quite as engaged with the main social dramas in the house. Now, of course, some of that is because Luke M is part of that main social drama. Now, the rest of the drama in the house, right now at least, is centered around that triangle that's not really a triangle. Let's return to Callum, Shauna, Molly, and this time, Callum confronts Shauna for accusing him of being dishonest. Yeah, I was going to say, things were getting too feel-good there with the Lukes and Shawnee. It's time for more drama. 
Callum, Shauna, Molly. That triangle, that's not quite a triangle. Yeah, this is getting to feel good. All the Shawnees and Luke's love. We need to get back to some drama. Let's get back to more arguing because this episode does not disappoint in its argument totals. Now, Callum decides he is going to confront Shauna for accusing him of being dishonest, which if we were in normal reality makes a lot of sense. However, on Love Island, eh, I don't know if that was quite the move. But what do you think, Beck? Well, Shauna does not handle herself well. She offers absolutely no evidence. She has no justifiable reason to call him that. And she just sits there and calls him a liar. Right. She can't provide any evidence, so she tries to change the subject to him, just bringing somebody back in the first place. Okay, but wait, wait, wait. Hang on. I should have mentioned this before. For real, though. For real, for real. Did Callum really think that Shauna was going to get with somebody else? Or is he just saying that to give himself a lifeline? Because I think there's no way in hell Shauna was going to recouple. I don't know about that. If you're Callum, here are some of the things that happened right before Casa Amor. You've got somebody who is yelling at you and accusing you of being more loyal to a friend than to her because you got upset with her for yelling at your friend. You've got somebody who is essentially already playing games and withholding physical affection and using physical affection as a carrot to get him to do what he wants. She was always complaining about him not giving her enough affection. I think when you look at a lot of that stuff, when you look at the courtship that they engaged in, The flirtatiousness, the romance did seem to fizzle out pretty quickly. The date brought it back a little bit and I thought things had improved. But if I were Callum, I'd say, you know, I'm not sure how much this girl really likes me. So I wouldn't think it's totally out of the question that she would recouple. No. Well, then Callum decides to really go and put his foot in his mouth by claiming that they never had the talk about being exclusive. So, so what that he moved on and that he should not have done that. No, he should not have done that. It was never about are they boyfriend and girlfriend? Are they exclusive? That was never really a question. He should have just kept his stupid mouth shut. I don't know. I think she tries to make it about that, though. When she tries to change the subject of this conversation from him deceiving her and being dishonest to him disrespecting her by even bringing somebody back, it's like, come on, Shauna, this is Love Island. This is not the outside world. Give me a break. You knew this is coming. Come on. Okay, and to be fair, if Callum were smart, he would have just kept his mouth shut and walked away. Yeah. And at this point, they're just talking past each other. They at least have the good sense to end the conversation. Shauna goes and gets comfort from the girls. They pump her back up and she heads back to Callum for round two. Yeah, she's much calmer this time. And Callum is too. And he finally, finally gets it right. He says he's sorry. With no qualifiers, with no rationalizing, no justifying. He just says he's sorry and asks asks her if he can give her a hug. I love all of the respect we're seeing for bodily boundaries this season. Asking someone if you can touch them. I hate being hugged without consent. And I appreciate the various gentlemen asking if they can give hugs. Yeah, I on rewatch am impressed with Callum's growth even this far into the season he's really blossomed I would say he is becoming a very nice young man even if he is a wet wipe I think he's been drying out a little bit (laughs) right true true so at this point we've covered our two major dramas and you know what it's time for a text the hideaway is open that's right Shawnee, Luke T and the nipple top are going to the hideaway And if you have not listened to our episode about the betting ceremony, go back and listen to that because what we've got here is a betting ceremony derived from a centuries-old European tradition. Don't give anything away. You already did that work. Let him go listen. So Luke T is excited. He knows that things could go down tonight. This could tie the knot. He knows she's going to wear something spice. And the feeling in the house is pretty unanimous. Everybody knows Luke T's getting a lap dance. Oh, yeah. We see the return of the nipple top from the very first episode. Did you see Nas's reaction? 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Nas's jaw hits the floor. And I don't think it's in a pervy way, but like my jaw hits the floor. That was really risque. And the mature content warning makes sense. Okay. Okay. So like, I don't want to be one of those people, but does that not seem like lingerie you wear if you want it ripped off? Yeah, I think so. Does that not seem like lingerie you wear to do bits? Yeah, I think so. I mean, anytime it's sheer and you can see, you know. Stuff. Yeah. Like, you don't have to go all the way. I'm not trying to say that you have to. I'm not trying to say that a woman is asking for it because we all know Luke T's a stand-up fella. Well, is Luke T a stand-up fella? No, he's sitting down and he's getting a lap dance. And there is palpable sexual tension when she's giving him that little dance. She is nervous. It is not nearly as spicy as some of her previous displays. But I could feel the sexual tension a year and a continent away. Yeah, when she gives him permission to touch her. Damn. Okay, so I literally wrote in my notebook. So later on in the night, they're laying there, like smooching a little bit. Or talking, and I wrote, how are you laying there not fucking? Because, come on! How? Like, I don't want to be gross, but there's no other way to say it. How are you laying there not a fucking away? Shagging. Yeah, he should have said shagging. This is a British show. The next day, Luke T, he reveals to the guys that they got naked. Now, he probably shouldn't have said that, but at least he didn't say anything else. Yeah, he didn't say anything else. And he does say that nothing else happened. I can imagine if I were Shawnee's. Now, I don't own any sexy lingerie myself, but I can imagine that might not be the most comfortable thing to sleep in. No. I mean, just for practicality's sake. Yeah, that's what I mean. And she felt comfortable enough with Luke T to be naked and know that he would not do anything that she didn't want. So I think that's pretty great. So stand up guy. Yeah, stand up guy after all. Meanwhile, in Love Town, Finn and Paige managed to make washing dishes look downright romantic. Yeah, they are really falling for each other. Finn, though... Finn fucks up. Yeah, loose lips sink ships, my man. He revealed that Luke T spilled the tea. Yeah, this is going to be bad. Paige is not going to keep this information to herself. She probably should... Yeah, I don't see that happening. But at the same time, like, I think Shawnee does have a right to know and Shawnee should nip this in the bud. Luke T is a 22-year-old guy or 23-year-old guy. And even though he's a good guy, he doesn't mean anything bad by it. He's not spreading untruths. Still, you know, we've all got to learn these lessons. Speaking of truths, we can check in on Mike and Priscilla. They're playing a little game of two truths and a lie. And they seem to really be genuinely having a good time with each other. Yeah, we keep saying it. This is a good match. You know, they're coming up with topics of conversation. They're getting to know each other rather than just talking about getting to know each other. And I think on this show, that's really the hallmark is when you see them actually talking about things, not just talking about talking about things. Right, exactly. How many times do we hear people say, oh, I want to get to know that person. And they talk about getting to know people. But it never really goes beyond that. And in addition to Mike and Priscilla, I would say Jess and Ched. I mean, this might be the smartest conversation that we've had since they discussed Brexit in season four. Wait, wait, I just want to mention one thing about Mike and Priscilla. Actually, two things about Mike and Priscilla. Go for it. Number one, Mike's two truths and a lie is he saved his mom from a fire. He's played football in front of 3,000 people and has had sex on the beach. And both you and Priscilla guessed that sex on the beach was a lie. Right. But it wasn't. And I just yeah. thought that was funny that you and Priscilla. And also, whatever Priscilla was eating looked delicious and I wanted it. So yes, Jess and Ched. The brainiacs of the group. Listen, don't knock Ched. And I told you, Jess is young. She's made some bad choices. But I think she she showed some unexpected depth. Again, bar is low. But two points to Jess. Yeah, she definitely displays emotional intelligence she's a good communicator but i think ched actually knows more about feminism than she does he wants to end the pay gap yeah well she gets excited about women in stem which was really cool yeah women engineers good job for jess we've got another text yeah this is a very texty episode we've got a text there's a party tonight and you know what that means someone's going home 
someone is going home. But thankfully, we don't see that in this episode. There's a public vote at the end, and we just get to enjoy the musical stylings of one Sean Paul, who I actually really enjoyed shaking my ass to back in the day. So there might have been some couch dancing. I won't tell. I always love these party scenes and to see the camera work and the slow motion and all of the after effects that they put on the video and post and how corny and cheesy it looks. It makes me want to be there. I want to have a good time with these guys. There's a good shot of Eva twerking. Girl can move. Shawnice, your queendom is being challenged. Yeah. Demi was very cute too. Can you believe Sean Paul in our bloody back garden? I was sunbathing in my thong 10 minutes ago. Speaking of corny and cheesy, Finn, who's becoming more and more of a melt, has a conference with Luke M. So that's what you should do. You should take your recently doubly dumped friend and discuss how well your romance is going and that you would like to ask your special lady friend to be your girlfriend. And Luke M. is a grown man and he handles it well and he's excited and supportive. But I can't help but think that twisted that knife a little deeper. Oh, also, they're sitting in a bed and they've got shoes on in the bed. Oh, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, shoes in the bed. Shout out to Parker. We're noticing that a lot more now. Nas and Eva also getting soppy. He reassures her and somehow Jess makes that. I was just talking about her emotional intelligence and I'm going to contradict myself now because what the hell is Jess doing telling Demi to turn around to watch Nas and Eva kiss? No, she didn't say turn around. She noticed them kissing and she made a face. Because Demi was talking about Nas at that exact second. I don't think that one could have helped their face. She should have had a butter's reaction and hated her stupid face, but... She told Demi to turn around and look, basically. Well, everybody was like, what are you looking at? Come on, I don't think it was malicious. I just think it was a bad choice. Yes, it was a bad choice, but one can make a bad choice without being out of malice. I'm not saying it was out of malice. Okay, so... I'm saying that it was emotionally an unintelligent thing to do. She was trying to sympathize with Demi and she messed up a little bit, I think. Yes, she messed up. So Finn's doing a lot of talking about asking Paige, but he hasn't quite gotten there yet. Now he's got to confer with his larger circle. Yep. Mike, Callum, Luke M. It's funny because Callum guesses that Finn is going to ask Paige to be his girlfriend even before Finn says anything. It's been nice to see Callum and Finn bonding in the absence of Connor and Connor. I guess Callum's also watched the show before. He knows it's coming. Yeah. So Finn wrote a speech. The guys are pumped. Luke M is openly jealous for Finn's success. So I guess he's not handling it as well as I gave him credit for just a few minutes ago. Finn pulls Paige, which is something he usually doesn't do as he points out. Normally, they just kind of naturally talk to each other. And then he brings her down to the fire pit. Where all the big stuff happens. And Finn takes out his phone and starts delivering a speech. (laughs) Very romantic. Paige acts like she has no idea what's coming. First, she thinks she's going to get dumped, which to be fair, I would jump to that conclusion too, being Paige and being me. Yeah, I think that maybe was a fear, but really, really, that would be really out of left field. Yeah, and the whole thing is just wonderful. He really sees her. Finn recounts their whole relationship with great specifics. He's really in touch with his feelings. And the only appropriate thing to do if you're Paige or frankly me is get them to ask you twice. I love how she turns around, notices the crowd about a third of the way into his speech. Now I think all of her fears have been assuaged. Yes, they really needed that happy moment. And of course, Paige sums it all up with one of my favorite Pageisms. I got a boyfriend. I just love her. And this was a fantastic ending to a fantastic episode of Love Island. I can't wait to see... Who goes home? Who goes home? Yes. Demi and Shauna are exempt because they are single. I guess they're both going to get one last crack to crack on. Yep. We are heading into the home stretch of the season now. So I think it is time for us to mention to you, as we usually do, that Little Bit Leave It is an independent, listener-supported podcast. The ads are fake, if you hadn't figured that out. (gasps) What? Yes, there is no such thing as the Lutch Council. 
But there is a such thing as patreon.com slash littlebitleave it, and you can go there and join our community for as little as $2 per month. There is all kinds of great content, bonus content, special episodes, all kinds of stuff if you are at the $5 level or higher. Yeah, go on, take a look. Things have moved a little. Yeah, or listen and subscribe and leave us reviews on all your podcast apps. Go to every single one, listen to every podcast many, many times. We would appreciate it. We want to chart in your country so we can tell people that we are the number 72 TV recap podcast in Belgium. Come on, Belgium, let's do this. We actually do have people who listen in Belgium. I know, that's why I said Belgium. Yeah, we've been on the charts now in France, Canada, and the UK. We also want to give you guys a quick update on our plans for season seven. We are going to be covering season seven live as it happens with weekly podcasts, and they are going to be timed for our American audience. So what does that mean? We're going to be assuming that you are streaming the show on Hulu. Hulu is going to be airing episodes one week after their air date in the UK. You will get a little bit Leave It podcast sometime between when that first week ends and the second week begins. We pledge to get it out to you on that schedule. It's going to go through the week's events on the show. We are going to be going through the fashion. We are going to be doing culture shock and reviewing slang. We're going to be ranking couples. We will have interesting asides and interviews. We're going to be talking about Fantasy Love Island. What? Fantasy Love Island? Yeah, Fantasy Sports times Love Island. You'll draft teams. You'll get points for things like bits and kisses and dates. You'll lose points for things like unnecessary yelling and getting dumped. Yep. We are really excited to be bringing Fantasy Love Island to the masses. We have never encountered it yet. There's no tattoo though. Sorry. I don't think there's any planes. No, no. It's Love Island Fantasy Sports, not Fantasy Island in love. Anyway, it's going to be a really cool version of Little Bit Leave It. And we're not abandoning season six, though. Our goal is to keep doing both. Because we're crazy. We're figuring it out. Buckle up. We're producing a ton of content and we really want you guys to join the community. So get on over to Patreon. Join the community. We're talking Love Island season seven. We're continuing season six. Then who knows where we'll go from there? You can tell us what you think. So get in touch with us. Today's episode of Little Bit Leave It is sponsored by the Office of the First Chairperson of the Lunch Council. Hi, it's Rufus Rudderman, the new first chairperson of the Lunch Council, and I'm so excited to talk to you about the exciting changes that we are making at the Lunch Council. They're very exciting. Christ, who wrote this? It is no secret that the Lunch Council has been through rough times lately, and we're struggling financially. Luckily, our good friends at the Breakfast Board have agreed to take on all of our administrative functions for only half of what we had been paying Lunch Council employees. Effective today, all Lunch Council employees have been terminated, except me and my personal assistant, Sheila. And we will pass the savings along to you, the average lunchgoer. But that's not all of the changes that we are making to benefit you, the everyday lunchgoer. With the growing partnership between the Breakfast Board and the Lunch Council, and the pending merger of all administrative functions and staff, it only made sense to formalize this partnership. So, we are proud to announce that the Lunch Council shall now be known as the Breakfast Board Lunch Committee. We've also got a great new slogan, which you'll hear in just a moment. But don't worry, nothing we do is changing, and you will still be able to enjoy the fine soups and salads that have been the heart of your midday dining experience. We here at the Breakfast Board Lunch Committee want to thank you for your support, but more importantly, we want to thank the Breakfast Board without whom we would have a miserable existence if we were to exist at all. Did I really agree to say that? Holy tartar sauce. And now, our new slogan. Lunch 
If you need something like to eat because you didn't eat enough for breakfast, try a little lunch. And then remember to eat a bigger breakfast next time. Do you think we're going to get away with this shit? Well, turn the goddamn thing off if the tape is still running, you sausage head. All right, well, today we are going back into Bristol. Shawnee is just such a dominant character on the show. We couldn't avoid it. Also, we screwed up a few things. We left a few things out. So today we have a fantastic guest, Jacob Waller. He is from Big Yellow Praxis. He lives in Bristol, and he is going to tell us everything that we got wrong. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and Big Yellow Praxis? Hello, hi. My YouTube channel is Big Yellow Praxis, and I do music stuff. I do a music podcast. I do songs. I play little jam tracks and things like that for my YouTube channel. But basically, we do music stuff. I say we, it's really just me and my guests who I get on, who are random people, could be anyone. <laughs> and I talk about underrated music, that's what my podcast is, so it's underrated, overhated, and just kind of going through the history of music and just finding things that are underrated and underappreciated and chatting shit about it, basically. I'm no expert necessarily, but I like to portray myself as one. But yeah, so I'm I'm not uh, like a genuine Bristolian, I'm not from here originally, I'm from not the north of England, from near Scotland, an area called Cumbria. And I, I moved here a few years ago. Bristol is very different to where I was brought up, which is very rural and very small. So this is one of the things that you wouldn't be able to pick up just from reading about it online, is that Bristol's a kind of cool, trendy, very hipster kind of place. Do you want me to just go through your list of what you what you got wrong? Because <laughs> well, there was a few minor things mainly. Yeah, I would love to hear that. And just to quickly say, so our listeners, we have talked about Newcastle, we've talked about where else up north? Beck? Inverness. We yeah, we talked about Inverness up in Scotland. Talked about the Jacobites or the mm -hmm. Jacobites. I think we've been saying it wrong. Not sure. Jack Jacobites. 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 We've been saying it wrong. We might yeah, have we, to issue We've been saying it wrong for weeks. That's so American <laughs> of us. I was going to say, that's the main thing. You know, I've got a little list here of um, <laughs> the things you got wrong. It's mainly pronunciations, which is not your fault. It's, it's British English is a nonsensical language and accent, so that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. If we had done better research, maybe we would have gotten the pronunciations correct. Well, so I looked it up for the Wales one. For the Mary Lloyd, I did a lot of pronunciation research on that. But Yeah, I guess with Welsh, you kind of expect to have to do that. Yeah, lots yeah, of W's. Yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Tell us, what did we get wrong? What did we mispronounce? I guess that's a good way to start is mispronunciations, and then we can get into yes. any like factual corrections. Well, before I said Cumbria, and you said Cumbria, but that, I think that's just because I have a very northern accent. My accent is like the Starks from uh, Game of Thrones, so I exaggerate my U's. That's just, again, British accents. There's, there's tons of accents, and they're all very weird. <laughs> but yeah, so the Avon River which goes through Bristol. I guess this is, it's the Avon and the Froom, even though it's spelt the Froom. Again, it's not really your fault, it's our fault. We, we just, we don't make any sense. Did we say the Avon River? That's me, that's all me. From the stupid <laughs> cosmetics company. Blame those MLM ladies. Confusingly, it's not the same Avon River of Shakespeare fame. I think across the entire of the UK, there's about seven Avon Rivers some of which are actually quite close to each other. Um, and it's a different river. It's weird. I know, again, I'm, I'll take responsibility as a British person because it's not, you know, how would you know any better? <laughs> Norwich uh, is a city rather than Norwich, but it is spelt Norwich, but it's Norwich. Blame Connecticut. Norwich, Connecticut. Oh, yeah. We have a city in the US, not far from us, and it is yeah. spelled the same way and definitely mm -hmm. pronounced Norwich, right? Well, yeah. In the Northeast, we've bastardized a lot of mm -hmm. English towns yes. and terms, so I expect <laughs> plenty more of those. Okay. Norwich, duly noted. And again, you guys, I know you guys definitely pronounce this differently in America, but it's Birmingham rather than Birmingham. It's again, that's just the way we say things, Birmingham. All right, none of them were terrible, except for the damn Jacobites. <laughs> they weren't. Whoops. So interestingly, you, you, you mentioned John Cabot, who sailed from Bristol. He was the first to get to America or, or whatever. I can't even remember my history. But he was a uh, Venetian, was he? I think he was. You asked a good question, which is, well, was that actually his name? Um, and his name was Giovanni 
Caboto or something like that, I think. Giovanni Caboto, yes. And it was anglicized because a lot of sailing was done from England at the time, especially from Bristol. So that's why he would have been known as John Cabot in British history. We bastardize words as well. You know, it's just it's just what we do. Jacob, I will say that I learned about John Cabot in American history class, probably when I was a little kid, third or fourth grade here. So eight or nine years mm -hmm. old. And I definitely did not learn that he was Italian. I definitely did not learn that his name was Giovanni uh, Caboto. I don't know. I don't remember. There was a lot of them. I think we focused more on the Spanish conquistadors. Maybe we Hudson obviously got a lot of airtime. But I just think it's interesting that American textbooks would kind of omit that and play up his Englishness. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange. That's just how history goes, isn't it? It's unfortunate. <laughs> There's an interesting comment that you made about, um, I think you said you were reading someone's comment on the Bristolian accent. And I think they said it was a sharp crab apple or something like that. Yeah, he was a famous linguist, apparently. So it's interesting. So that's something you wouldn't necessarily get without knowing something about the broader history of Bristol. Because I think you're right, because the Bristolian accent isn't sharp. It's actually quite nice and lilting and soft, I think. Yeah. That's how I always saw it. It's because it's the same accent that the hobbits talk with in Lord of the Rings. The the famous like pirate accent is basically a West Country accent. Huh. Um, well, that would make sense. Sailing, ships. I think that the linguist, whoever it was who was talking about the Bristolian accent, will probably be partly influenced. And this is something you wouldn't understand necessarily without going to Bristol. Because when he makes a crab apple comment, it's probably partly ironic because cider is huge here. Like it's, it's what people drink in the West Country. It's very famous as a cider area. I think it's an inaccurate description. I agree with you on that. But yeah, cider is a big thing here. So he's probably kind of playing on that. And I think a bit weirdly. Um, so cider, that's another cultural thing that you wouldn't necessarily get that it's cider here and it's very much a hipster kind of city. And it has been for, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years looking better and better as a vacation spot then i like cider i like i can you know <laughs> i like laughing at a good hipster i like hipster food i'm down mm -hmm. yeah we might have been hipsters if we were younger when hipsterosity really <laughs> became widespread oh we were hipsters before there were hipsters yeah exactly <laughs> thank you the ultimate hipsters yeah yeah the, sorry the final pronunciation this one's not english it's german it was the luftwaffe uh, it was the German Air Force who, who bombed a lot of Bristol. Because a lot of the centre of Bristol, a lot of the older buildings, a few churches, still have shrapnel marks from the bombs. They're, they're visible in quite a lot of the old the old centre of town, which is obviously a bit dark, but it's like interesting history and there's quite a few bits of it around. I love that stuff. In the Chase Building downtown on Wall Street, you can still see the marks from the bomb where um was it sacco and vanzetti i think it, yeah it was sacco and vanzetti ah. planted the bomb and there are still holes in the wall yeah wow yeah 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 thankfully we've never had air raids in new york city oh one more though and you know this is british american history so you might appreciate this uh bowling green downtown manhattan right by the ferry there was a fence erected that used to have little crowns on the top of each you know vertical post ah. and during the revolution the americans cut off all the crowns and to this day you can still feel the tops are uneven and cut ah wow that is cool i like that um so I'm trying to think, so corn exchange, you mentioned a corn exchange and you got very confused, I think, by that, which is interesting because I think most British people would be uh, a bit confused by that as well because it was literally the place where people brought cereal crops, whether it was corn or wheat, to trade them. And it was just like a marketplace and most big cities have one. It's really just straightforward exactly what it is, but it's not just like there was one or two, each city had its own. And now they just tend to be filled with, I don't know, like market stalls or just like uh, event space and things like that so they're, they're very old timey and most of the time i think i've been to a lot of places being like what even is a con exchange but a lot of cities have them i think that might be one where we were kind of playing dumb yeah we do that sometimes i pro oh, were you? <laughs> i promise that some of our dumbness is play but so far all of the other dumbness that you've mentioned was legitimate oh it's so hard to tell it's probably possibly like the, the the kind of atlantic difference in sense of humor because british people famously were ironic or something i don't know or sarcastic dry Ex exactly we're supposedly very dry I, d I don't really know because that's all i'm used to but um I'll try to work out where you're playing dumb, <laughs> where it's like real. We don't always know. Um, we fool each other sometimes. It's a weird thing. It's, <laughs> you know, our son is, is only four and a half and he also is in on it now. So yeah, it's always mm -hmm. an interesting dinner. 
conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you made a comment about the size of buildings in Bristol. Yeah. Because the, the tallest building is the church, which is true. St. Mary of Redcliffe. It is quite a big church. It is genuinely a relatively big church, but it's about 89 meters, which is big for a church. But Britain doesn't really have skyscrapers except in London and maybe a few in Manchester and a few bigger buildings in Birmingham. But really, we don't have them even in relatively big cities. So Bristol doesn't have anything that I would call anywhere near a skyscraper. Okay, so that website then must have used that word for some kind of building that would hold multiple purposes. But yeah, we were trying to figure that out. Like a, you know, a 900 year old church. How is that the tallest if now they're building skyscrapers? So, okay, thank you for clearing that up because that was bothering me too. It's weird. They shouldn't use the word skyscraper. It's just, it would be a relatively tall, I don't know, like building of flats or something. It's not really a skyscraper. So Jacob, I have one real big question for you. Have you ever bought anything in Bristol Pounds? Oh, I was good. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Bristol Pounds is just, it's its never been taken seriously. I, do, I don't know anyone who's ever taken it seriously. So I first came to Bristol maybe eight years ago when I was hitchhiking. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up a second. Yeah. Back up. You hitchhiked to Bristol. Yes. Yeah. Where were you hitchhiking from and why? Uh, so I was at university at the time. I was in Cambridge. I hitchhiked and in the first day I met one of my favorite guitar players from a rock band in a random um, like service station on the motorway. And then I managed eventually to get to Bristol and I have a friend in Bristol, so I stayed with them for a couple of days. You're burying all, all the leads here, Jacob. Who is the guitar player you met? What band is this? Okay, okay, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, there, there, a lot happened, I guess. So the, the guitar player, he's called Scott Gorham. He's a Californian. He was in the band Thin Lizzy, who were like a 70s okay, yeah. uh, hard rock Irish yeah. band. Um, and he was he was super nice. He was really really chilled out. I think he was more surprised that someone recognized him than I was that I saw him. <laughs> I'll say I like a lot of Thin Lizzy, but I probably would not recognize Scott Gorham on the street or at a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yeah he was pretty surprised as well because I was I don't know how old I was at the time twenty one twenty two and I think he was like oh who's this kid and how does he recognize me I've not been recognized for years uh, but it was cool it was good meeting him uh, but I remember coming here and seeing Bristol Pounds you know signs for it like maybe up in shop fronts but I don't think even then that was probably the peak of it around 2013 14 something around there I've never known them to be taken seriously I know for example buses would have accepted them in a few independent market places I think it was an attempt at a bit of devolution sort of a bit city independence but it never really took off and I can't imagine why it would have. It was, you know, pegged one-to-one -to, -one to the pound. There's, there's, no, there's no benefit to doing it, really. No, in fact, um, that's what we joked about. It, it only restricted how you could use the money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, there's no utility to it. It was a bit weird. But it was, it was a noble effort, I guess. I see the spirit of it. <laughs> and so Bristol time. How about the Bristol time zone? Because I thought that was really fascinating, too, how it was like a 10-minute difference from regular time, I guess. Yeah, that wasn't something I was aware of um, specifically. So that must have finished a long time ago. But I think that would have been relatively common across Europe. I've definitely read about it before, especially in more rural areas. So back then, rural communities, even within relatively close distance of a big city, would have preferred to use what they considered local time. So it would there would have been a wide variety of times, whether it's France or Germany, it would have been very, very inconsistent. But Bristol, you know, it used to be like the second city yeah. in, in the UK for a long time. But these days it's kind of seen as, because it's in the West Country, it's more of a provincial, it's the provincial big city compared to Manchester or Birmingham, which are very, very well connected. Yeah via the motorway and like trains whereas bristol's a little bit more out of the way so once upon a time it would have been very 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 cosmopolitan and it still is because it's still very hipster but it's a little bit out of the way so that's where you get the association of like the bristolian accent and the west country accent is a bit kind of hobbity it's the shire it's a bit cheese and cider around a bonfire and a bunch of farmers that's kind of the, the association of the accent i think is it more like chicago no or, chicago or is still huge Boston? i was thinking st louis Oh, that's St. Louis bad. used to be a huge deal. It's right on the river, the Mississippi River, gateway to the west, yeah. part of the south. You know, it used to be a huge, huge spot. And now it's just a spot. You can't fly direct. The few times I've been there, I've never flew direct. 
Yeah. Well, we drove from Chicago. Right. But I've been there a couple other times. and uh, That's interesting. So Bristol, obviously, we, we touched on its role in the slave trade. And that's probably why it was the mm-hmm. second most important city. It is the port and the slave trade, we assume. Yes. The city that kind of most immediately took over Bristol back in maybe the 18th century as the second city would have been Liverpool, which again, it was a big slave trade um, city. And even today, so the the legacy of slavery is still a big part of today in Bristol. You know, there are tons of places named after Colston. Uh, Edward Colston. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit when you finish this thought about the toppling of the statue into the harbor? Because I thought that was really cool. And last summer was really big on a lot of fronts and a lot of places for civil rights. So um, Colston was just one of the wealthiest slave owners, I guess, in the city and a big benefactor towards public schools and things like that. Well, he has tons of things named after him. There's a school, uh, there's Colston Hall, which is a, a venue. Uh, and a lot of these, Colston Hall being the biggest, are changing their names or have already changed their name because of obviously the association with a, a slave owner. And there used to be more pubs. I can't think of any pubs now that are named after him, but there used to be a few. And I think they've kind of dropped over the years, changing their name from... I don't know, the Colston Brewery or something like that to just like Bristol Brewery or something simple like that. And obviously there was a statue of him um, right in the center of town, which for years had, you know, things put up in protest against him. And it was always just, you know, maybe a placard or something. And people had wanted it to be taken down for a long time. And obviously it hadn't. And then things kind of came to a boiling point as it were and it was taken down so i guess my personal thoughts on it it's a public space and it should have been a publicly decided thing in the first place and it never was so it went up at the tail end of the victorian era this this statue to kind of commemorate what was seen as a public great public benefactor to the city but it was always off the back of private money and obviously a public space should never have as far as i'm concerned it should always have been a public decision and it wasn't at the time maybe it should have been later in the 90s but that decision was basically never given to the people and people broadly were progressively more and more against it staying there and i i think it's perfectly legitimate to just tear the thing down and i think most people in the city at the very least aren't particularly bothered by it if that makes sense most people are either indifferent or in support of it the police they literally just stood back and watched it happen. They were basically just there ensuring people's safety, which I think is a good example of policing during kind of civil disobedience, if that makes sense. And it was basically just torn down and obviously just thrown straight into the the floating harbor. And I've never really heard much of a pushback from people. <laughs> There's no, you know, I'm not necessarily plugged into um, nationalistic or particularly patriotic circle so i'm sure there were people who did object but for the most part i think people were either not bothered or in support of it because i think most people see it as in itself a kind of historical event i mean this is what history is right these things happen and i think most people to sum it up either don't particularly care or were quite happy to see it no i think that's awesome i think that's great yeah and i think you're absolutely correct in thinking about the parallels between all of the statues that people took down last summer and historic acts of vandalism that we now celebrate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like cutting the crowns off the fence at Bowling Green. There you go. And it's true. You see, um, you know, there are churches now that have, I don't know, vandalism from the 13th century etched into the wall. And that becomes like a part of its history. I'm not saying people should etch things into the walls of churches at all, but it's the, these things do happen. And then, you know, you give it enough time, it's seen as an important part of history. And there were some interesting things that came out of it. So I think within one of the legs or one of the limbs of the statue, bits of newspaper from the day it went up or something like that. Um, so it was a bit of a time capsule with what they actually found inside it, which I thought was really interesting. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a weird little story. I also find it really interesting what you said about how the police were mainly there to ensure everyone's safety. And certainly, you know, in the United States, we saw police departments last summer have a wide variety of responses in similar situations, most of which were not, hey, let's just let's just make sure everybody's safe. That's not how the police, for the most part, handled stuff. No, they said everybody's safe. So let's fuck some shit up. We also have been following the news and we've been seeing that more recently, some of the confrontations between Black Lives Matter and anti-racist protesters and the police have really been centered in Bristol. Um, and I think those later interactions have been a little bit less positive than what what happened during the, the toppling of uh, the Colston statue. 
So it, it kind of speaks a bit to what you were saying as well about Bristol being a comparatively racially unequal in terms of like economic outcome city compared to a lot of other places in the UK. And Bristol is actually amongst the less ethnically diverse, larger cities within the UK, like Birmingham and Manchester and London in particular are very, very mixed. And it probably is partly to do with it being a little bit more provincial, a little bit out of the way. Hasn't seen as big of a recent influx in, for example, Bangladeshi, Pakistani and Indian immigrants that Birmingham, Manchester and uh, London has, I guess. And I think that is probably part of the legacy of why it still falls behind a bit in that kind of inequality compared to like Birmingham it feels a little bit more segregated in terms of people where they live it's a bit more this is an African Caribbean area and this is a kind of do you know what I mean every city in the world has that to some degree but Bristol has it a bit more than say Manchester or Birmingham interesting so glad that Jacob could join us and that sound means it's time for Culture Shock. The first thing we're going to talk about today, Nas mentions Shoreditch. We had no idea what that was. And it turns out Shoreditch is the Williamsburg of London. If you live in New York City or are familiar with New York, you know what I mean. Shoreditch is a neighborhood that is rapidly gentrifying or really has rapidly gentrified at this point based on cultural cachet and hipsters and bars and food and music and now there are star architects or starchitects as they're called building new high-rise towers there and it is very expensive now if you want to live there for the most part but of course there are still some dangerous areas right nearby because it is rapidly gentrifying. So Shoreditch is a very, very cool place, and I have been inspired to do a deep dive into Shoreditch, so we'll get to that in a future episode. All right, that was a sweet culture shock, but you know what time it is now? I think it's time for the TNA report. The TNA report. This episode covers a lot of time, so there is a lot of fashion. I don't really have much from the first day except Molly in the beach hut. Those eyebrows are taking on a life of their own. We're going to have to call it that love triangle, a love square between Callum, Molly, Shauna, and Molly's eyebrows. They are very thick and very brown today. Let's get into where the real fun is at night. This is the first night. Shauna's makeup is looking fine. No better way to get revenge on an ex than to look amazing. Except the rest of her outfit is a total disaster. We've got the see-through pants, the lucite heels, and the brown suede blazer and the white bustier. It's like lingerie stripper cowboy. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that, though I do remember that same outfit from earlier in the season. I think Paige was wearing something very similar one night. Weren't they matching one night? Yeah. Yeah, so Shauna repurposes the pants, but they're still bad. You know who does look hot, though, is Jess. Yeah, I like those big gold rectangle earrings. And so you first see her in that outfit when she's sitting on the couch. She's got like a white strapless top with a notch. It turns out to be a shirt and she's wearing ripped jeans with it. And that's cute, but I would have liked it better if it was a dress, I think. I think it would have been a really cute like body hugging mini dress. Yeah, I can see that. But either way, good job. Shawnee's another swing and a miss with that red and black leopard what? Yeah. And the big buttons. You know, I really appreciate all of the effort she puts in and all of the, you know... Risks she takes? Yeah, they just don't all work. Shanice, that green sack on one of the most important nights of Love Island, you will never be forgiven. I also really liked what Priscilla was wearing. She's got the black leather motorcycle jacket over that taupe jumpsuit. And I think it works for some reason. Yeah, Okay, so we've already discussed the nipple top, but just the nipple top. That's all. Just yeah. as long as we're talking about fashion, I just wanted to acknowledge it again. It's daring. It's sexy. It's for mature viewers only. How are they laying there not fucking? Anyway. Luke T, though, on that first night, 
I notice that he's wearing cross earrings. They look cool. I think that if I were Christian, I would probably wear cross earrings, maybe. I don't know. Do you think I should bring my earrings back? No. So from the second day, I really liked Shauna's gold cover-up and Paige's zebra suit and bun. So let's talk party fashion, because who doesn't love to get all dressed up and all made up and shake your ass, watch yourself. So we've got a lot of good ones and we've got a lot of bad ones. Yeah, I liked Shauna again in the gold with that one shoulder dress. I thought that was really cool. Also in gold, Priscilla. Yeah, they looked great. Yeah, and they've got them out in front. It's really interesting when you see how the producers arrange the cast to go out into the parties and the people that they really want out in front based on their outfits. And Shauna and Priscilla, big smiles. They're leading the pack. They look great. And then we've got the rest of them. Well, Jordan's striped shirt, hideous. Yeah, Jordan's shirt is bad. Mike with that vest over the t-shirt and jeans. He almost pulls it off, but I just don't get it. I hated Luke T's white chunky sneakers. They were too chunky. Here's another thing about the guys. So they're all basically wearing capri pants, right? That's the style of the moment, right? Some of the guys can pull them off much better than the others, right? Yeah, they're too dainty on Callum. Yeah, Callum, I notice how awful they look on him. Whereas Finn, he can pull it off. And Luke M, though, he pulls off some real capris there. They're practically culottes. (laughs) Those are two very, very different things. Yeah, I know. Culottes are like shorts that look like a dress, right? Or a skirt. Shorts that look like a skirt, yeah. Yeah. Finn, though, has an ugly off-white shirt with the black flowers. And then the girls are not exempt. Rebecca's mint green dress. Now, wait, wait, I, wait, 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 wait. I like Finn's shirt. Well, that's fine. I think Finn's shirt is cool. I'm going to get a shirt like that. Whatever. I'm going to get an ugly mint green dress and be the worst then. I hate mint green in general. I just think it's an ugly color. Which is so funny because your favorite flavor of ice cream is mint chocolate chip. I don't mind that green. Also, it's delicious. But Rebecca is neither delicious and that color is ugly. So Rebecca. Jordan might disagree. Jordan has no room to talk. Yeah, Jordan does have no room to talk in this episode. Again. Although he does have size 13 feet, which Nas says is overkill. With apologies to Logan, I think that going back to the early Casa Amor, Jordan just does not have a good fashion sense. I'm sorry, man. Well, I'll defend the turtleneck till the end. And then the last thing I have is Molly in red with the red lip. Molly, very fashionable, knows how to dress, knows how to accentuate her features. Yeah, I also just want to do a quick shout out to Priscilla's giant square earrings. They were really, really cool. Yes, Priscilla, also another person who always seems to be on point. Yeah, her fashion is maybe some of the best that we get this season. Her outfits, her hair, she just delivers. All right. If that's all for fashion, then you know what time it is? No, what time is it? It's about 11.30. Oh, well, I think it might also be time to... Rank the couples. Okay. I think today we go top to bottom, right? Or do we go bottom to top? We go bottom to top if you want. We haven't done that in a while. Yeah. And that leaves a little bit of mystery at the end. Okay. So in the sub-basement. Yes. Our number 10 rank. You know who it is. Not Rebecca. The other one. Natalia. Yeah. We don't need to say anymore. Yeah. We've said enough. At number nine, just because he's such a sucker for her. Luke M. Yeah, we feel bad for him, but come on, dude. We need you to get up these rankings. Get some confidence. We're glad to see you break up with her. Now, it's time to move on. Agreed. I sort of disagree with that ranking, but I also disagree with his patheticness. So I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not going to fight this one, but I do feel bad for him. And I do feel a little guilty putting him down there. But anywho, at number eight, Rebecca and Jordan, not really a big part of this episode except for their clothes. So the rest of the rankings were really hard to do. This is not really a knock on anybody left. Everybody else in this episode had good moments. It was just a matter of deciding whose moments were the best. Yeah, and there were a couple of the couples who really do take the episode. And I think it's debatable which one should be ranked one versus number two. And I think that is the suspense that all of our listeners are still feeling right now. If your heartbeat is pumping a little bit faster than normal, don't worry. It's okay. It's just the couple rankings. Coming in at number seven. Jess and Ched. 
Their conversation about feminism was great, but Jess dropped the ball with pointing out Nas and Eva snogging, and frankly, they didn't really do much else in the rest of the episode. Number six, an unconventional couple, Shauna and Demi. Yeah, we did not mention in that morning after the hideaway when Shauna calls to Dem Dem to get in her bed. The two of them are bonding over their sad singleness, and I think that's good. Yeah, the two singletons coming in at number six and at number five, it's our controversial couple. I wouldn't call them controversial. For some people, maybe. It's our Callum and Molly. I don't think they really are. I don't really claim them. No. It's Callum and Molly. Callum and Molly coming in at number five. They're a little shaky here. I'd like to see them really come together. With a big snog, Nas and Eva. And I think this is where it starts to get difficult. These are all couples that we really like. We think they're strong couples. They're really fun to watch. We hope that they stay with us until the final. And in at number three... Mike and Priscilla, who would have been higher had so many other things not happened this episode. Yeah, they both are great. I have really enjoyed watching Mike and Priscilla get to know each other. Now, here we go. Number two. Who do we got? It's got to be Shawnice and Luke T. It's got to be Shawnice and Luke T. They have an amazing episode. They go to the hideaway. They get naked. Bits are done. Maybe. Don't try to tell me that bits were not done. They don't have to do all the bits, but some of the bits had to happen. We don't know and we shall never know. And good for Luke T for only giving us that one little bit of information and not more. Good for them. So that leaves coming in at number one, the nipple top. (laughs) I did not see that coming. Yeah, that was a improvised joke there. Okay, but no, for real, there was only one choice. Yeah, it had to be Paige and Finn. They make their relationship Love Island official and all is well in the kingdom. They gave us a happy ending. And after so much turmoil since Casa ended, it was nice to see two very happy, happy couples and some other very happy couples. Yeah, a very good end to this week in Love Island, which is what, our fourth week of the show. So we've got two weeks left in Winter Love Island. Wow, how time flies. So if that is that. And I think that is that. Follow me on Twitter, LBLI Podcast, Beck, LBLI Peng. Like Peng Sort, P-E-N-G. You can follow us on Instagram. You can like us on Facebook. But Twitter is the place where you're going to get me. Or you can email us at littlebitleaveitpodcast at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. Seriously, email us. What do you got to lose? Besides your dignity and reputation? Yeah, people will know that you're a Love Island freak, just like us. So, from Staten Island to Love Island, shake that thing.